It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Punk hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated throughout Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au or 3cr.org.au and through your favourite podcasting app. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter with the hashtag, oh sorry, the at tag of at BZE Tech Show. My name is Michael Steindl and I'm joined today by my co-host and panellist extraordinaire, Laurie Perry. How are you, Laura? Morning, Mike. I'm good. It's good. Today we're speaking with Dr. Stephen Bygraves, CEO of Beyond Zero Emissions. With a PhD in Resource and Environmental Management from the ANU and Bachelors of Economics and Science, Stephen has worked on and delivered many major initiatives, including the de- designing the mandatory renewable energy target of the 18- 1980s, sorry, managing Australia's first major renewable energy and sustainable transport programs, and most recently being involved in the design and implementation of the Clean Energy Future Package. As well as a depth of relevant experience and knowledge, Steve brings with him a strong and diverse network in the climate change, renewable energy and environmental activism fields throughout Australia and across the, across the globe. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for joining us today. G'day, Michael. G'day, Laura. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Um, and particularly welcome as our uh, as the director of BZE for the last three years, I think, is it? And I think um, you're moving on to some exciting new fields. Can you just fill us in briefly um, your recent history and and um, your new challenge? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, look, uh, been at Beyond Zero as the CEO now for for three years, and um, I was approached recently by the Queensland government to apply for their top climate change position, executive director of climate change in the Queensland uh, Department of Environment. And um, I guess it's quite an honour to be looking at how, um, you know, we can implement some of BZD's research and and findings in uh, in the Queensland government and quite exciting to be be asked and also to have that, um, that opportunity. So... Yeah, it's with a degree of sadness that I'll be leaving, but also um, some excitement about being able to translate a lot of the research that we do and um, and really be able to implement it on the ground. Um, I met with the minister a couple of weeks ago, and he's also very open and, and wanting ideas to come forward. So, um, yeah, it should be a good opportunity. But, mm-hmm. but with a degree of sadness, I'll miss the radio show. I'll miss all the amazing volunteers that are part of BZD. It's an amazing extended family, uh, all of the staff team who've just been incredible, the board, volunteers, the supporters and funders. You know, it's, it's an amazing um, task which we're able to do and we can't do that without the help of um, everyone on the team, including you guys on the radio show. So, so it's been a pleasure. Thanks. I, I doubt you'll miss the radio show because we'll um, no doubt have to have you back <laughs> in your new role. And um, personally, I'm excited to hear that, that you're moving to Queensland because I was I was excited when the Labor government got in, but then 
um, somewhat disappointed in their commitment. Um, so putting someone like you or taking someone like you on board is a really positive sign as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there's been a few jokes uh, floating around that in my first year in the new position, I'll have to solve coral bleaching, <laughs> I'll have to stop land clearing, and also have to stop the Adani coal Adani, mine. Yes. So, um, yeah, a, a small uh, set of challenges <laughs> to deal with. With all a right. lot of support from well, a lot of community. We we'll look exactly. forward to you achieving all that, Steve. So you won't be able to do it on my own. No. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about the newest BZE report, um, before going into that, could you just give us an overview of the BZE program, the six plans in brief, and then how this what this latest report is and how it fits in in the scheme? Yeah, that's great. Um, well, certainly the Zero Carbon Australia project has now been running for almost 10 years and it, it comprises six main plans. Stationary energy, which we completed back in 2010, showing how Australia's electricity grid can be powered entirely through renewable energy sources. Um, that was followed by the buildings plan, the second of the plans, which shows how we can radically reduce Australia's uh, energy consumption in buildings, both domestic residential buildings, but also commercial and retail buildings. Um, that was followed up by the first of our transport plans, Zero Carbon Australia transport plans, which is the high-speed rail report and this electric vehicle report is the second of the transport plans. And yet to come on transport are urban, uh, urban transit and, and public transport, and then also freight. Um, so there'll be four parts to the transport Zero Carbon Australia plan. And as I said, the electric vehicles report is the second of those four reports to make up the transport plan. Mm -hmm. Then we had the land use um, report uh, back in 2014 showing how we can move to zero emissions agriculture and, and by stopping things like land clearing and, um, and uh, deforestation, we can actually achieve that, but also revegetate vast amounts of Australia's landscape to um, sequester carbon. That was the fourth, uh, essentially the fourth um, component of the six-part Zero Carbon Australia plan. And then we've had um, work done on uh, Australia as a renewable energy superpower. So that was the most recent report that we launched. Um, we launched that late last year in Melbourne, but also we've been doing a national tour of that plan, both through the election period just recently, but also in other states and territories. And then the last plan that we've just started is industrial processes. So this is how we can make cement, steel, aluminium, other industrial materials with um, zero emissions technology. Mm. So we're well through, I guess, the Zero Carbon Australia project, probably 80% of the way there. Um, and this report is a very exciting one because I think it complements very nicely the work we've done previously on 100% renewable energy. It also complements really nicely the whole energy freedom initiative that we've been running for the last 18 months or so. And obviously it, it, it also deals with the whole question around batteries and battery storage. So it's been a very exciting project to work on. Yeah. Um, and just for people who aren't so familiar with um, these plans, they have received worldwide acclaim and they are all available for download for free as, as PDFs from the site, Steve? 
That's right. All of our plans, uh, anyone can go to www.bze.org.au. All the plans are, uh, can be downloaded for free on, on our website. Um, we have received international claim and national claim for our work. Um, this year, uh, Beyond Zero was ranked in the top 10 global think tanks to watch uh, by the University of Pennsylvania. Every year they conduct a survey of think tanks around the world and uh, BZD was, linked, was listed in the top 10 think tanks to watch uh, in this year. So, so very, very exciting. Our work now is going global. We're conducting uh, a lot of work with other NGOs overseas, but also in the climate movement nationally. Uh, we've been working on a 100% renewable energy campaign, which is going global with uh, groups like Greenpeace International, the World uh, Future Council, um, uh, and other groups like Renewable Cities. So this is uh, a very, very exciting mm -hmm. um, time, I guess, for BZD, where our work is um, being used uh, across the world, but also drawn off nationally. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real feather in the cap. The, um, the transport plan, you, you said then there were four parts. We've had the high-speed rail. This is now the release of the electric vehicle. The other two parts? Yeah, public transport or, or urban, urban transit. Yep. So how we can... Uh, use public transport and, and design our cities more more sustainably and get a get better um, use of public transport and people out of cars essentially or mm -hmm. if they're going to drive a car make sure it's an electric one but 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 encouraging um, what's called mode um, mode shift where we're we're shifting from one mode of transport ie the car the passenger car to public transport but also better cycleways, walkways and other ways to transport ourselves which, around. Which comes up the, later in, in the EV1. And yeah. then, what's that, sorry? Which comes up later in the EV1 about um, the, the um, it improves the cost of implementing. And the fourth one, sorry, Andrew? The fourth one's freight. So, um, as you know, we freight a lot of uh, goods and, and other things, uh, heavy heavy um, materials around our landscape. A lot of that is, is undertaken by bus. Sorry, not by bus, by... by uh, by truck, and uh, you can see the trucks up and down the Hume Highway between Sydney and Melbourne, you know, and Brisbane. Uh, and so, getting our freight moved around by rail um, and with more efficient uh, logistic systems within our cities, and also a rail system that's powered by 100% renewable energy, will obviously have a big impact on reducing our transport emissions. So that's the fourth of those transport plans. So we've kept listeners in suspense long enough. What are the key findings of the electric vehicle report? Look, I think the biggest finding is that the transition of our entire passenger vehicle fleet can be undertaken in 10 years uh, at a maximum of 25% uh, more cost uh, than a business-as-usual scenario using very conservative assumptions. So we, the team that did the modelling... And we're very grateful for the University of New South Wales and the team led by Jenny Reese to do a lot of that modelling work. But it shows that with a very, very conservative set of assumptions around the price of oil, the price of um, batteries, the price of electric vehicles, that at a maximum um, it would cost only 25% more to shift our entire passenger vehicle fleet to electric vehicles over a 10-year period. And with a more... Uh, with, with a less conservative set of assumptions. So, in other words, a higher price for oil, 
lower prices for batteries and lower prices for electric vehicles, this transition can actually occur uh, on a cost-neutral basis. Um, all of the modelling in the report is available for everyone to, to uh, critique and look at and evaluate and review, and, but we believe it's very robust analysis and this shows that the transition is, um, is, is extremely viable and cost-effective. In fact, we're seeing this transition already unfolding very, very rapidly in countries like Norway and the Netherlands, but we might come back to that. Mm. That's one of the findings. Okay. The other finding is uh, the team also modelled the transition of our bus fleet um, from uh, being powered by fossil fuels to being powered by electric uh, engines uh, running running and charged by 100% renewable energy. And mm-hmm. that showed that it was actually even more more cost-effective to transition our bus fleet. It was only, uh, with a very conservative set of assumptions, it was only 10% more to shift our entire bus fleet across the whole nation to electric in a 10-year period. It was only 10% more than under a business-as-usual scenario. And, and when you say um, conservative assumptions... Um, BZE reports have had a reputation for being ultra-conservative, or at least very conservative, um, just so that they can't be criticised for over-optimistic um, assumptions. And so the reality probably is that it will be substantially less than that 10% then. That's right. I mean, we, we are very cautious. We, we have two scenarios very clearly laid out in this report. And the first scenario is using... Um, you know, uh, a lower price for oil, higher prices for electric vehicles and higher prices for batteries. And then the um, less conservative uh, um, scenario obviously has higher price for oil, lower prices for batteries and lower prices for EVs. And I think what we're seeing, certainly in the battery landscape, where battery prices are predicted to fall between 20 and 60% by 2020, uh, that's the cost for lithium batteries. You can, you can already see that, um, you know, the, the, those conservative assumptions are, are, are likely to be, uh, you know, extremely conservative yeah. and probably not as realistic. So I think um, to be cautious, you'd probably pick a scenario in between. But um, we could easily see the price of oil going up uh, very, very rapidly, as well as the price of EVs and batteries dropping even more sharply, as we saw uh, over the last five years with the price of solar photovoltaic panels. Okay, so this is saying... Th- this is over a period of 10 years you're looking or longer than that? Steve? 10 years. Okay. Um, so you're talking about converting our entire passenger vehicle fleet, actually discarding all the internal combustion engines for the urban thing. I think it was another... Um, that was three-quarters of the fleet, wasn't it? Or three-quarters of the use, and the other 25% was... The country use is that correct? Yeah, so we looked at urban uh, vehicles primarily, and um, urban cars make up about six percent of Australia's total greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. And if you include uh, car use in regional areas, it's about eight percent of total Australia's total uh, emissions. So. By shifting the entire vehicle fleet to electric in a 10-year period, we'll eliminate between 6 to 8% of our total national emissions in that 10-year period. So that's, that's another one of our key findings. And um, 
transport emissions alone in the Australian economy make up about 15% of our emissions. So this could be uh, eliminating half of our transport emissions just by converting the passenger fleet to electric in a 10-year period. Yeah. And so the other, the other key findings, obviously, around convenience. So um, electric vehicle, because they're so, um, you know, they're, they're hot off the production line, they have the most recent technology. They have the, they're, they're a comfort to drive. They're, because the batteries uh, have a, they're quite heavy and they have a low centre of gravity, the, these vehicles, they mean, it means that they can corner uh, much more smoothly. They're, they're a pleasure to drive. Their acceleration is phenomenal. I don't know how many of the listeners have driven an electric vehicle, but if you haven't, go out and test drive one because they're in a, it's an amazing experience. So it's, it's the qualitative uh, aspects to this um, transition which are as powerful as the technical and uh, more quantitative aspects around cost. So, you know, the, these are a really pleasurable driving experience and uh, that's another reason to go out and buy one. It, it, it also means things like no more fuel bills. These, these vehicles have far lower maintenance costs so there's a whole range of benefits in addition to the um, greenhouse gas uh, emission reductions. That's, that's true. Instead of thousands of moving parts, you've, you've basically got four motors, haven't you? Or that's two right. even. Um, Spe- sorry, Laura. That's right. Speaking of powering them, Steve, what level of efficiency are we seeing with the charging stations today? Look, th- there's been radical improvements in charging technology as well. Um, the report goes through the different types of charging technologies, you know, the level one, level two, level three, uh, public, tra- uh, public as well as private uh, charging opportunities. We've, we're seeing Tesla roll out their supercharger network up and down the Hume Highway. Local governments are scrambling to get in, in on the action and, and try and get a, a Tesla supercharger as part of the, in, in their local government area. Um, so it's been a great collaboration, I think, between local governments and Tesla. Um, we're seeing many car parks in Sydney um, have this technology. Willoughby Council in Sydney, for example, has a rooftop solar farm uh, which charges uh, electric vehicles from the rooftop solar system. Um, so this charging technology is improving all the time and the efficiencies are coming, uh, improving all the time. It seems to be a change in the way you use it, though, rather than swinging past a charging station and charging up, you charge when you're at home or at work um, and so forth. It's a, it's a different manner. Look, I think as we get more and more charging and more and more electric vehicles and more and more people demanding uh, charging stations, you know, the, the very real scenario is you not only charge at home at night when you're not using your vehicle, but you're driving to work, the car parks at work are covered by solar panels. Uh, you plug into your car at work. You have a fully charged or close to fully charged battery when you come home. You can supplement that into your home power needs when you drive home. As we all know, that's when our peak demand for energy is, when we come home and we turn all the lights on and we turn the TV on and we run all our cookers, etc. So... The electric vehicle can can be a, a complement to our whole energy system. Mm. And I mentioned in the introductory remarks, uh, the electric vehicle is very very important part and will be a very important future part of our energy freedom initiative, which is about uh, for those of you for those of the listeners who don't know, we have a website energyfreedom.com.au, 
which um, gives householders information about how they can have an energy-free home with rooftop solar and then energy-efficient appliances and LED lighting and insulation double glazing, etc. So there's nine steps to energy freedom. What we want to do is put another tab on our website which will be all about the electric vehicle because the electric vehicle will be an important complement to the whole energy freedom story uh, whereby if you have solar PV and an energy efficient home, you've got excess renewable energy but you've also got an electric vehicle where you're charging that with your own rooftop solar system and you're essentially energy free. No more power bills, no more gas bills and no more petrol bills. It is a really great resource. Um, For those of you that have just joined us, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show. Um, and we're speaking today with the CEO of Beyond Zero, um, it's Dr. Stephen Bygraves, and we're just discussing the soon-to-be-released electric vehicle report, which is part two of a four-part series of such of um, the transition of our whole transport sector. Um, Stephen, you just touched on briefly before local government collaboration in getting charging stations up and running. What are the policies that have been... Uh, sort of played out uh, to help this transition in the report? Yeah, look, the last chapter of the report, we summarise across all OECD countries in the world different policies and incentives that have been put in place in countries like Norway, Netherlands, um, and I guess there's there's a range of incentives that can be put in place, and the um, that chapter summarises summarise them quite neatly. I guess there's still a perception out there in the public that, um, you know, electric vehicles won't meet um, the consumer's driving needs. In particular, there's still a degree of range anxiety. Um, So we need better information and education uh, campaigns from government, but also local governments to address some of those um, perceived barriers. Mm. There's still a perceived barrier that um, electric vehicles are, are too expensive. And again, we need education campaigns um, to, to deal with, with some of that. We need, um, obviously, the provision of public uh, charging infrastructure and reserved parking spaces for electric cars. We need things like um, uh, better promotion of car sharing schemes because a big part of the report highlights that if we can have more car sharing and uh, mode shift away from vehicles uh, means that the, the, the task of shifting our entire vehicle fleet to electric is a much easier task because there's actually less vehicles to transition in the first place. We can have things like uh, free registration, um, these are things that state and territory governments can implement. We can have free access to transit lanes. Again, these are issues that local government can deal with, just like motorbikes and taxis can use bus lanes. Electric vehicles, uh, certainly in other countries around the world, have access to transit lanes, making it a far more convenient way to travel. It means that your travel time can often be halved um, if you're commuting in the city. Um, there's things like uh, removing taxes um, and, uh, and also implementing uh, more progressive um, and more stringent car emission reductions, car emission standards, like what they've done in the US, where particularly in California, their um, emission standards are very, very uh, strict, 
which means that that's already encouraging the shift to not only higher efficiency vehicles, but also electric vehicles. So there's a whole range of things that um, governments can do, both federal government, state and territory government, and local governments. And the table at the back of the report, you'll see it when, it, when we go live, um, highlights policies in countries like Canada, China, Denmark, Netherlands, Japan, Norway, and shows which of those policies that have been implemented in those countries could actually be implemented in Australia. Steve, um, these things always, these sessions always go too fast. We've only got about two or three minutes left, I think. Um, a couple of quick things, or, or one small, one big, I wanted to still cover. Uh, the first is um, following on from Laura's comment about the charging stations, and you mentioned right at the start about renewable energy. Just to clarify, that these costs are assuming 100% renewable energy because you get the trolls straight out there and say, yeah, you got your electric car and you're running it from brown coal electricity, you're no better off. Absolutely, Michael. Um, all of the economic analysis assumes 100% renewable electricity and that these vehicles are charged with 100% renewable energy, so it's factored in those costs. Yep. And uh, obviously... And the, um, the cost of that power you know, if, pays if for people, the renewable... If people have green power as well, and that's yep. also... Uh, means that if they're at home and they're charging overnight and they've got accredited 100% uh, green power, that they're also charging their vehicles with uh, renewable electricity overnight. Okay. Um, one, we've got a minute left. A quick comment on this replacing of the whole fleet. So we know that the science says we've basically got to stop fossil fuels immediately, but we're also um, talking about... Um, scrapping an entire fleet. Was any consideration given to recycling involved in that or um, allowance made for it or what? No, look, the, there was no um, factoring in of the cost of recycling, but what we did do, and the team did a lot of analysis on the feasibility and practicality of, of not only uh, manufacturing electric vehicles in Australia, and, um, you know, we should be transitioning our our traditional manufacturing facilities for cars in, in places like South Australia to, to uh, being able to manufacture electric vehicles, which is what uh, Tesla did in the United States. Um, and we showed that that's, that's feasible, it's practical with, with uh, being able to manufacture those vehicles, but also there's enough supply of vehicles from overseas markets to be able to fulfil the demand that Australia would have if we were to move to 100% uh, electric vehicles over that 10-year time frame. All right, that's fantastic, Stephen, and thank you, and, and all the best for your uh, the next step in your career. Thanks, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, You guys do an amazing job, along with Vivian and, and others on the show, um, so really appreciate it, and... Um, yeah, Viv's show really is amazing. For, doing the launch. Yeah, for those who don't uh, know about Viv's show on Monday afternoon. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Don't forget our sister show on Monday afternoon at 5pm. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all again next week. Thanks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.